one of the most profound truths in all of Scripture. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus, as you live in us and among us, Lord, um, even this day, we welcome you now. You who are the living word to come and speak into our lives, Lord. Truth that will bring transformation, even in our understandings and our mindsets and our perspectives. God, come and share with us now so that we might fully um, reflect who you are and represent you well into the world around us. But thank you that we have the opportunity to gather to hear from you today. Come speak now, we pray. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, leading us afresh again into his presence today. Well, thank you for those of you that were praying for us this weekend uh, for our Bethel Valentine's Marriage Retreat, we had a great time. It was a really, really fun time uh, together. And uh, thank you to all of you who helped uh, with childcare. I know multiples of you uh, went out of your way to bring assistance in uh, providing childcare for families, uh, for couples so that they could go. Bless you for your work in that. It was definitely worthwhile. Ah, well, this morning, we're beginning a brand new series, which I am very excited about. Um, the series is entitled Apostello, and our key scripture is a scripture that we're going to be referencing again in a few moments, but it's taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, when it tells us that he called, that would be Jesus, the twelve together and gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases and sent them out proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out. The word apostello literally means sent. And so over these eight weeks as we embrace this time of Lent and awaiting uh, for, you know, preparing our hearts for uh, Good Friday and then Easter and uh, the events of the last week of of Christ's life, we're going to be reflecting together on this concept of being sent as a people. This is a year to engage, 2013, and so a lot of what we're going to be sharing over these months together and over this year, 2013, is is really um, helping us to tangibly discover how it is that we can and should and what it looks like to engage. Now, this is building on a series that we just completed in January. And by the way, let me just make a shout out here. If you, for some reason, were unable to be with us last Sunday, I would highly encourage you to get a hold of the CD 
uh, in the back or go on to the website to get the message preached by Pastor Ben. It was profound. It was incredibly impactful and powerful message about engaging, and I would encourage you to really meditate on the word that he brought to us last week. And that was sort of a bridge between the series that we did in January and called and the series we're doing now here in the next couple months um, called Sent. And so we did Kaleo and now Apostello. But the called, we discovered that there are three calls in every single one of our lives. The first call is the call that Jesus makes to come to me. And when we come to Jesus, we discover that our primary identity is to be a child of God. When we come to Jesus, we discover that our primary identity is to be a child of God. It's so precious this morning to just be able to have an opportunity to come to him as a child today. Wasn't it, isn't it good sometimes just to remember I'm his child? And it's beautiful to have the children around us also to remind us that this really is our primary identity, is as his child. Secondly, he calls us to come after me. So he says, come to me, but he says, then come after me. And the call to come after me is that when we come after Jesus, we discover that our primary vocation is to be a follower of God. Come to me deals with the issue of identity, being a child of God. The come after me deals with our vocation to be a follower of God. He's the master. We pattern our lives after him. It's what it means, the whole concept of disciple and being disciplined in the best sense of the word. It's not punishment. It's just a developing a pattern of life that is congruent with who we are as his child and who we are called, what we are called to do as vocationally as his followers. The third call is to come with me. And when we come with Jesus, we discover that our primary destiny, the trajectory of our life, the place that we are going together is to be a friend of God said this many times. That would be my, my deepest desire that when, when the time comes and, and, you know, my life is laid out and I'm, you know, I've finished my earthly journey, my desire and prayer would be that the thing that people would mark about my life or say about who I am, you know, there's lots of things I would like to have had expressed about who I am, but the most central thing that I would love to have people say or note about my life is that he was a friend of God. I don't know any higher, I mean, you know, there's no higher title than that, than being his friend. And that's the destiny. That's not a place just for uh, certain particular people who are in ministry or who are whatever or even a particular age or stage or education or experience. It's for all of us, our destiny, our invitation, the call is when we come with Jesus is to be his friend. Now the scripture that, was the, that went with that come with me, that final scripture 
that we looked at is the scripture that kind of opens us up to where we're going with being sent in the apostello. But let me just remind you, it says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, we just looked at the callings, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. First of all, he called them. We have authority because of our position in Christ. What is my position in Christ? Let me remind you, we just unfolded that. My position in Christ is that I'm his child, I'm his follower, and I'm his friend. And because I am those things, I have an authority. We have authority because of our position. All right? Secondly, he gave. We have ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only are we called and we have this position, but we also have power because we have been given abilities through the Holy Spirit. We call those talents and we call those gifts. We've been given things. God has made us and shaped our lives in particular ways. There are things that we are naturally good at and there's things that we have been have supernaturally received from the Lord which enable us to do that which he calls us into. So he gives us abilities to come alongside of the authority that we have. We have authority because of our position. We have ability through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he sent us. We have authorization to fulfill the purposes of the Father. So therefore, so not only do we have this position and power, but and not only do we have authority and ability, but we have authorization. In other words, we have been given from the Father papers which tell us, papers in the Spirit that says, you are authorized to go forth and fulfill the purposes of the Father. In fact, I would say not only do you have authorization, but you have a compelling hand on your back from the Father to go do what he has told us to do, which is go out, drive demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick, to do the stuff that Jesus did. So over these next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a sent people, to be a people who are on mission with God. See, there's a, there's a new word that's great every time that um, Liz types it, um, you know, the, the, uh, the whatever, spell check, always puts a red line under it because it says it's not a word, okay? But it is a word, all right? And it's the word missional. And I love that word because it really is a, it's that adjective that describes a people who are on mission. We think of missionaries, and that is their, sort of their occupation, but, but we are all called to become a missional people, and that's what we're going to be looking at specifically this morning. Becoming a missional people. 
So, first of all, let me define what missional means. And you can all go ooh and ah when I put it up here, because it's really complex, and it's a really long definition, which is to be missional means to be sent. Ooh. Ah. Yes. Okay. You know, we, we again, sometimes with words, we, we sort of put so much around them that we lose sight of the actual reality of what, what, it, what we're actually talking about. Well, what we're talking about is being sent. So when we talk about becoming a missional people, we're talking about becoming a sent people. And there's this ongoing dynamic, again, of called and sent, of, of, of gathered and going. There's a, there's a natural rhythm and breathing. The challenge is, for many of us, we have conceptualized the church in such a way that we have really kind of overbalanced into the gathering and we have underbalanced the going. Ecclesia means a gathered people. And so oftentimes in our mindsets, we begin to think of church as an activity which we do. It's a place that we go to. Rather than fully embracing and understanding that, no, the church is much more than simply a gathering. It's a fabric of life which includes gathering, but also by necessity involves going. It's both. Coming, going, gathering, sending, calling, going out, extending. Right? You catching this? Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, as the Father sent me, how did the Father send Jesus? He sent him as a child <laughs> who was a follower of God, who was a friend, who was, of course, the son of God in eternal relationship with him, but to recognize and realize that we, in the same way that the Father sent Jesus incarnationally, which is a big word which means Jesus you know, I love what it says, Eugene Peterson's phrase of, in, in John 1, Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He is calling us to in flesh, in, in, with skin on, to be Jesus with skin on to the world around us. Does that make sense? We are to represent God into the world. We represent him, and we represent him incarnationally. And we do so, and even in this passage in John 20, he's speaking in the context, he's speaking to a people who are doing this in community. This is key. 
a key understanding for you and for me is to understand that he is sending us not alone, but together. That was the part of the power of Pastor Ben's word last week, which was so insightful around that, what it means to be engaged together. Together. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You are now my body, which is how you're going to do greater works than I've done. Jesus said, I, I want you to do greater works than me. And we always think, what? How am I going to do greater works than him? It's that quantity of the works because the body of Christ, when Jesus was here on earth, he was geographically restricted to a particular time and moment and place. And now his body is worldwide, transcending so many different kinds of, you know, coming over all kinds of different walls. All right. Now, here's a great quote from the Tangible Kingdom Primer. The foundation of a missional life is the decision to offer to God our plans in exchange for his plans. It is to allow the truth about who God is and what he has done and our new identity in Jesus, and I put in here child, follower, friend, to inform all of life. It requires that we are willing to leave our world so he can send us to extend his kingdom. Whether we choose to engage the call is up to us. It's a choice. Are we going to engage that call? Now, I'm inviting you, and we'll talk about this more a little bit later, but but we have this booklet called The Tangible Kingdom Primary which is a workbook which I'm inviting us to go through together as a congregation over these next eight weeks. And in this book, which is a simple book, but it has some very profound, actually, it's simple, but it's very um, insightful and penetrating. And it has a daily opportunity for you to begin to interact with scriptures, with reflecting on stories, with questions, It's a real opportunity for us to engage what we're talking about here. It's great to come together, ecclesia, to gather, to hear a word from the Lord on a Sunday, but what are we doing with that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? And our missional communities are going to be going through this tangible kingdom primer together. So I want to encourage you now, I'll give another encouragement later, but encouragement now to consider just picking one of these up. The suggested donation price is $13 uh, to help cover the cost of that. Uh, If you can do that, that's great. Uh, If not, or if you can do more than that to help others who might not be able to do that, even do better. But whatever you can do to kind of give towards that so that we can sort of get this um, flowing into our life because it's really going to require some mindset shift in us. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Actually, we're going to go back, though, to Genesis chapter 11. We know Genesis 12, and we're going to get there in a moment, the call of Abram. But what you might not know is what comes before Genesis 12. This is a less well-known passage of Scripture, and one that we often skip over because we're getting right to Genesis 12 and God's call to Abram sending him out. 
But you really can't understand 12 without 11. This is the account of Terah, verse 27 of Genesis 11. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor were both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and had no children. So Abram and Sarai we know more commonly as Abraham and Sarah. All right? Terah, and here's scripture up here, Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now, notice that he set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Abram's father was actually the first one who began this journey towards the promised land. Responding, we don't exactly know all of what he was responding to, but clearly there was something that was impelling and compelling him to step out from his land of his birth, to go towards an unknown land, to go towards this promised land, even though he didn't know that it was the promised land yet, there was something within him that was encouraging him out. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the fact of the matter is, for many of us, we have had a calling. There's stirrings in our soul. Last year, the year to dream, there's things that God has placed within us. There's stuff that he has called us into that he's sending us to do. There's places that are moving us outside of our comfort zone that are inviting us into a new place. But entropy, that natural, you know, how energy and, and all things just sort of naturally begin to go down and down, and there's just this place of settling that happens. And that settling often means that we settle for something less than or something else than God's best, than God's purposes, than the authorization of the Father's purposes. We settle for something less. We settle or something else. And that's the context in which then we look at the example of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. For the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. So Abram receives now a call from the Lord. And that call is to go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Not even that I have shown you, I'm going to show it to you. It's as you go, I'm going to reveal to you the fullness of my purposes. And that's the reality for many of us. In our callings, we don't always receive the whole package in advance. We, God doesn't tell us. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking if, if, if I had known where I'd be now, back when I started, one, I would have never believed it, and two, I probably don't even know if I would have ever even, you know, I mean, I would have just thought I couldn't possibly go there. How could I possibly do that? Right? So the revelation unfolds as we go. Now, there are really four immersions that we will experience as we go. As we go, Missional people will experience four immersions. And in the primer this week, you're going to have opportunity to interact with some of these different immersions. And there's going to be some questions that are going to help provoke your thinking about this reality. But if you're going to go, there's a baptism, there's an immersion that happens when you choose to become a sent people, when you choose to go out and leave your country. Immersion number one is you're going to have to be immersed into a new culture. A new culture. Now one of the greatest biblical examples of this is found in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11. This is fascinating scripture. I've done a lot of thought about this particular portion of scripture in this particular, um, you know, and, and the unfolding of the book of Acts in the context of my studies over the last several years. But Acts chapter 11 is very interesting. Verses 19 to 21, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, remember the early church began in Jerusalem, there was this persecution, there were those that got then scattered all over the whole Roman Empire at that time. They scattered and they went, when broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word, listen to this, Catch this, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, why was it that they spread the word only among Jews? It was because the Jewish culture was the culture in which they had been enculturated. It was the culture that they were comfortable in. They understood the customs. They knew, you know, it was the people. It was, they went to people who were like us. And we all knew who us is, because us isn't them. Okay? So they went among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak, listen to this, to Greeks also. This would be the Gentiles. 
telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And when he found them, he brought them to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now this is critical. Please don't move into a complete coma here, all right? Come back from your coma, all right? Come back into awareness, wake up. Why were they first called Christians at Antioch? Why did they first get that moniker? Up to that point, they were simply known as a Jewish sect. I would contend that the reason that they were first called Christians at Antioch was because for the first time, the church moved out of its home culture, which was Jewish culture, and moved out into Gentile culture in an intentional, ongoing way. The intentionality is a key here. And would you please notice with me if you're, if you're a student of Scripture, or even if you're not, just read the book of Acts and you can figure this out. The first ten chapters of the book of Acts are all basically primarily revolving around what's going on in the church of Jerusalem. But starting in chapter 10 and 11 and 12, a transition begins to happen. And by chapter 13, with the exception of the Council of Jerusalem in, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem church is hardly ever even mentioned again. From that point on, it's the church in Antioch. Why? Because they were the ones that were willing to be immersed into a new culture. They were the ones that were willing to go out. And so here's the takeaway. Missional living requires for us to cross our fences, to cross our streets, and to cross social and political and ethnic barriers. We've got to go out. And to go out, we've got to go over the carefully constructed boxes which we put our life in. Is this this making sense to anybody? Help me this morning, okay? I'm weary, you're weary, let's bring our weariness together and help each other, okay? You understanding? This is critical to our understanding. We, so in other words, going out is going to require me to cross a fence, to cross a street, Cross social, political, should have put up there as well, economic, ethnic barriers. We have to do something to go somewhere in order for us to become missional people. All right, everybody with me? Immersion number one? Okay, let's go on, immersion number two. The second thing that missional people, in order to become, we're talking about becoming a missional people, 
The first immersion is we're going to be immersed in a new culture. The second immersion is that we're going to be immersed in community. We're going to be immersed in community. Acts 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this summer, we spent the whole summer kind of unpacking this particular passage of Scripture, looking specifically at what it means to be walking and living in a kingdom culture. I would encourage you to go back in the, uh, you know, on the website, you can go back, historically, back to those, past, those uh, scriptures from the summer and those uh, series of messages this summer on kingdom culture, and, and we unpacked all of that. But what we were discovering there and what we need to understand again and afresh in our lives is that missional living is not intended to happen in isolation, but rather in community with other Christ followers and friends. I don't know about you, but the thing that I think scares most people spitless is if I'm intended to go out and I've got to, you know, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the evangelist here on the street corner doing my thing and reaching people one by one by one when the better biblical picture, I mean, not, not that some people are called into that, but the, the, I think the larger biblical picture is, again, not of a fishing line, but of a fishing net of a people who've been called together in community who are together doing something. Okay, that reaches. Because then each one of us have a piece to play in that. Some of you are introverted. Some of you are extroverted. Some of you are creative, and some of you are logical. Some of you love to serve, and some of you love to speak, and there's all the different ways, but all of those are a part of expressing together representing the kingdom. So missional living isn't intended to happen in isolation, but rather in community with other Christ followers and friends. So we've got to break through this isolation mentality that's part of contemporary American culture. We've really, we've got some things to break through here. We've got some mindsets that are going to need to shift, and it's not easy. But God's going to help us, because it's his spirit and it's his work. The third immersion is to be immersed in God. If you think that you're going to live missionally in your own strength, here is my word to you. God help you. Because it isn't going to go very well in your own strength. Because guess what? You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. You're not gifted enough. You ain't got enough. We don't have enough. 
mean, who are we? I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, we are utterly insignificant. Yet in the grand scheme of things, we are utterly significant, isn't it? I don't know. One of those biblical tensions, one of those biblical realities. I've been resting in this passage for a while. Shared this a little bit at the marriage retreat. Just this has just been this picture has just I, I can't get away from it. Again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you." This is in John twenty twenty one and twenty two. After his resurrection, he comes. The disciples. Let's actually let's get the whole picture because I think the whole picture really will help us kind of understand what's going on here. So John twenty starting in verse 19. So this will help us get the picture. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the context is, we're in a locked room. The disciples have come together in a holy huddle. And they're shaking in their boots. Literally. The fear is, it's a dread. Because they don't know what's going on and what's happening and what's going to happen to them. And Jesus walks into the room. I mean, I think this is one of the occasions we, we don't fully understand how he does this, but he walks through the wall, walks into the room, the doors are locked, and suddenly he's there. How that all happens, I don't know. But he walks in, and he says, peace be with you. Then he shows them, his hand, you know, and they're overjoyed because they recognize him. They realize, ah, he's alive. And again he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. We looked at that passage earlier. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. really like us, just for a moment, to think about ourselves in that place, in, in the midst of that scene. And imagine what it would be like when Jesus came in and stood before you and just breathed. The resurrection breath of Christ. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Just breathing into you. So, sometimes, you know, when we're called, we're called to things that, well, I shouldn't say sometimes. Every time you are called to do something by God, if it truly is a vision from Him, it's probably going to take you beyond your natural capacity to fulfill it. By definition, it's going to take you beyond your abilities and resources. I don't know, maybe any of 
this is probably a silly rhetorical question. You ever get tired? I mean, I get tired. Sometimes I just get tired. And now at this stage in life, that happens sometimes quicker <laughs> or sooner than it used to. And I just have to remind myself, and I just have to stand there and say, Jesus, just breathe on me. I'm just going to breathe in his breath. That's why oftentimes if you ever, you know, in prayer ministry sometimes, if, if I'm ever praying for you and I just do this, I'm just doing that. That was Jesus's, that was the, you know, that was the wordless prayer. wants to breathe into us. Missional living flows out of a vital relationship with the living God. Missional living flows out of a vital relationship with the living God. Please don't try to do it on your own. To us as Bethel Christian Fellowship, the Lord would say, please don't try to do it on your own. We're not going to be able to do what he's called us to do in our own strength. One more immersion. We're almost there. You're going to like this one. Immersion number four. To become a missional people is going to require that you learn to live in tension. Yes, preach it, Pastor. I'm reading through First and Second Peter right now, just trying to immerse myself in that. First Peter four. I was just reading there this past week. First Peter four, twelve to fourteen. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There's a promise to claim. But the reality is, is that missional living will inevitably create both internal and external tension. That tension is necessary and can be both positive and productive. Missional living means being willing to live in tension, which is not our natural American. You know, we don't like tension, right? You know, like I've said before, you know, the number one, you know, the number one chair in America is not the risky boy. Let's go out and get a risky boy. It's the lazy boy. Because I want to be comfortable. I don't want to live in the tension. But guess what? If there wasn't tension, 
We wouldn't be able to do this. You can't do this without tension. The muscles are in tension with one another when I do this. It's what gives us the ability to move. Attention is necessary. All right. Genesis 12, 4 and 5, the rest of that passage, or the next couple verses in that passage. So Abram went. Do not simply be hearers of the word, but also obedience is to listen and do. It's the root word for obedience, is to listen and do. Abraham heard something, and then he did something. He went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He was not a young man. I love, you know, we've already, you know, I, it was so cool to have Alan and Joan at the marriage retreat and shared their story. It was incredible. Great story of what God's done in their life. 51 years, 51 and a half years of marriage, which included a seven-year gap, and ask them about that and have them talk about that. It was cool to have Eldon and Dorothy there. Eldon's 86. They're at the marriage retreat. Because they're not done yet. I'm too old. You are too old. Keep going. Keep growing. Young and old. He was 75, and he took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and all the possessions they'd accumulated. You know, don't possessions accumulate? But he took them all, they packed them up into the U-Haul, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. To become a missional people, we're going to have to go. Anna, come on in. What now? Well, here are some action steps for you. I have the, uh, what do we do? First of all, pray. Ask the Lord to confirm your calling and empower your going. Do not try to do this without praying. Ask him. Ask him to confirm that calling. Ask him to confirm your identity as a child, as a follower, as a friend. And then ask him to empower your going. Live in that place of dependence. Learn. Pick up the tangible kingdom primer. Going to hit that again. I just want to invite you. This is just a practical resource. It is not the Bible. It is a resource to come alongside of us during these eight weeks of Lent, during this time. Think those of you that have been part a long time, you know, back when we used to do spiritual adventures, think of this as a 2013 spiritual adventure. Think about it that way and begin to go through and read the And don't, don't say, ah, oh, I don't have time for that. It's 20 minutes a day. Do it. Spend the time. It will help us make these shifts. Interact with the scriptures, the reflections, the questions. There's some great questions. Today would be the day... Um, Actually, for, because of our group and the way timing would be the second day. 
And it's Abraham's big choice. What emotion, you know, and it talks about go, sacrifice, blessing, risk, hope, adventure, fear, change, faith, stay, safety, comfort, stability, security, status quo, boredom, control, expectation. You know, what emotions might they have felt when they heard this call to go? What words on the lists do you value the most as you consider your call to go? What emotions are you feeling? What challenges get in the way of you going? Just some practical stuff for you to start thinking about and chewing on so that it goes beyond just sermon notes here from Sunday morning and PowerPoint and things like that. But how does this begin to go into our soul? Join. Get on the pathway to life and joy by joining a Mosaic missional community or a connect group or another life path opportunity like um, the Philippians course tonight or the Holy Spirit uh, outpouring or some of the different ways that are coming up for you to do that. But connect. Connect into a Mosaic missional community. And they're listed in the bulletin, the three of them that are uh, St. Paul uh, missional communities. There's a couple as well in Minneapolis. And get connected into those. There's connect groups around. Um, do Join, be a part of being in the community on the pathway to life. And then act. Respond to the prompting of the Lord in your home, your neighborhood, your school, and workplaces. And go where he leads. I got a marvelous email this week from um, uh, Anna Haugen. Anna and Mark are newer here at Bethel. They came this fall. And uh, actually have been working on this before they got here to Bethel. And then when they got here to Bethel, they were like, Wow. We're starting to work on it, too. And God's been speaking to them um, over these last months, and they've been working on missional community stuff right in their home. And uh, Anna sent me this beautiful email that just really captured something in my own spirit, and I just asked her to share it as the closing piece of today, just to kind of put a little exclamation point on the message this morning. So let's welcome Anna right here. Yeah. Uh, I'll just make this short. I'm not a public speaker, but God is working on me. So someday I will maybe be asked to speak to a stadium. Who knows? <laughs> so all you shy people out there, you are not uh, exempt from this missional life. God calls all of us. Um, this week, as I was just praying about um, this church and the message and um, this sermon series, um, God just put something in my heart. Um, he reminded me of the mission of this church. Every Sunday that my husband and I have come, uh, whoever's leading the service stands up and says, uh, Bethel Christian Fellowship is a place where uh, strangers become friends and friends become family. And every time that's said, I kind of just go, oh, that's so nice, you know. It's, it's so comforting, you know. Um, to be in a place where it's safe and where people believe the same way that I do. They see things the same. They use the same language. It's just, uh, it's just such a wonderful thing. It's so good to feel home here. But then God said, you know what? There's something that's not quite right about that. Uh, this, this mission statement is not just to be happening in this building. Because I grew up thinking church was a building. My parents brought me to church two, three, four times a week. Every time the church was open, I was there. And the understanding was that if you want someone to come to Jesus, you better bring them to church. And they will believe, and then they will behave, and then they will belong. But what I didn't realize was that the church is people. 
And the church is more than just the people in this room. You actually have people that are part of the church that live next door to you. They may gather at other buildings on Sunday, but they are a part of the kingdom. And if you look for those neighbors that want to bless alongside you, it might be people that live in your neighborhood that go to this church. Awesome. It might be people that go to church down the road, but they are kingdom people. Uh, We can join together and reach our neighbors. Um, But I think the thing that always scared me to death (laughs) was that I thought that being missional and bringing the message was standing on the street corner, preaching, uh, you know, saying, you're lost, I'm found. You're a non-believer, I'm a believer. And you know what? I I went through this Tangible Kingdom book. I encourage you to do it. It just totally rocked my world. Um, It showed me that I've been labeling people. I've been labeling some people as lost and some people as found, some people as non-believers, others as believers. That's not how God sees people. Um, I have met several people in the past year that have been extremely hurt by Christians. I'm sure you know a few. Um, One is our friend who uh, was about to take his life, and uh, he contacted us over Facebook. We began chatting with him. He was actually overseas. He had no family. He had no friends. He had actually been raised in the church, but he had been uh, very severely abused um, by Christians, um, by by Christian leaders. And because of that, he had turned his back on God. so we invited him to come and live with us, and he lived with us for um, several months, and during that time, we were able to show him belonging, um, and he was able to see that God is not a harsh, severe God of judgment, but a God of love. Another person that God brought into our life was um, a woman who had uh, went to Bible college, and at Bible college, she had gotten pregnant and had been kicked out of Bible college. And because of that, she felt rejected by the church. Um, And so what God began to show me is that um, instead of thinking that we have to go out and help people to believe, what we need to do is go out and help people to feel belonging. And that can be just by inviting them into your life. Not having an agenda, um, because they know if you have an agenda. But just saying, you know what, I'd love to have you over for coffee. Um, I'd love to watch your kids this week if you need a break. Um, I'd love to help you fix your car. You know, I'll give you a good deal or I won't charge you. Um, There's just so many ways that we can reach out and show people belonging. And through that belonging, I believe they will believe. And then they will behave. But they're not going to believe and behave until they feel that they belong. Thank you so much. That's just the perfect exclamation point on the message this morning. Belong, believe, come. And yeah, many of us grew up in environments perhaps where it began with behaving. (laughs) The other B. This book is also available to you. You'll need to, we've actually sold out of it, but it's called The Tangible Kingdom. 
creating incarnational community, it really gives the background behind the primer. We will order more of them. There's an order sheet in the back if you'd like to, to order the, the book along with the primer. Again, these aren't magic. There's not, you know, whatever. We're not, we're not launching a new program. This isn't about a program. It's just about becoming a missional people. We're just rediscovering who we are and God's call to us to go. So I just encourage you along in the journey with us. This is part of this year, again, of engaging with him.